Amen. Good morning. How are you guys doing? That was a good, good time of worship this morning. Hope you enjoyed it. My name is Tyler. I'm one of the pastors here. Glad that you're here. For the visitors in the room, so glad that you're here. Thank you so much for joining us online as well. Um, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, it's been a good summer, I think. Uh, I hope you agree. And last week in particular, just the baptism that happened, that was just such a sweet time uh, as we uh, got to celebrate baptisms, and we've celebrated baptisms all throughout the summer, and just wanted to stop for just a minute and just talk about baptism, you know, and so, you know, if you haven't been baptized and you follow Jesus, that is something that the church is uh, honors as a sacred moment, and I would encourage you to do that, and, and again, all it is is just the opportunity to say, hey, I publicly identify with Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. And so that's the picture. I love the picture. You go down in the water dead and you rise up alive. And, you know, whether you've been baptized before or not, you know, as Travis led us last week, he got baptized and, and he didn't remember as a child and it had no spiritual significance for him. And so that was his motivation for being rebaptized last week. And I would say that's true for all of us. If you've been baptized and there's no significance for you, or it's been so long that you don't really remember it, you know, we always want to remember who Jesus is. Amen? We also want to remember what he's done and what he's doing in our lives. And so I just want to leave that there as we talk about baptism. And also, last week, Travis taught is, uh, in chapter 8, uh, Paul, we're in 1 Corinthians, and, and just food, sacrifice, and temples. And Paul's in this chapter, or chapter 9, that we'll be at this morning and last week, just the freedoms that we have and the freedoms that we are to enjoy. And Paul's talking about, hey, you're free to eat. You know, I mean, that's what you do. And Paul's going to touch on that again this morning. He's also going to touch on just his defense as a leader of the Corinthian church. And then we're going to get to a couple of the most famous verses, I think, in all of Scripture at the back end of chapter 9. So we'll be there. Uh, you know, it got me to thinking... Uh, just as last week and this week, and you know, one thing I was thinking of uh, is I like arcades. Do you like arcades? Who remembers arcades, right? And and I don't know, like if you think about just how Stranger Things has been so popular this season four, and, and if you know they've they've hit all the things. They hit the ball. They hit the arcade. You know, they hit the they hit the the haunted house and all the things, all the tropes from '80s movies. If you are blessed to be an 80s child or, or grow up or look back. My, you know, it's funny, my, I've got my kid, my 13-year-old, tries to explain to me 80s things that she was not even around for, you know? And I'm like, uh, I don't think you quite get it yet, but that's okay, right? And it's just so funny to me. But one thing that I just remember is I love arcades and the freedom of arcades. And, and it's the, there's a game for everybody, you know? And so, like, we used to, like, my parents would drop me and my cousin off and, They'd hand us, a, you know, some quarters and say, we'll see you in two hours, right? And so the, the trick was, is how can we stretch two hours worth of quarters before they come back? Because, you know, it's just, it's just always a tightrope kind of thing. And But one time, uh, we came across a game. You ever come across a game where they're free? You know, like there's so many credits in. By the way, favorite game ever, and you could disagree, which I'm right and you're wrong, but best arcade game ever is Galaga. I'm just going to say... Yeah, that's right. There it is. Galaga. If you like Centipede or Space Commander or whatever that crap's called, you, it's not any good. So I'm just going to say. 
But it's Galaga. It's always Galaga. But here's the thing. So we came across this arcade uh, game. I think it was Galaga, actually. Which, by the way, Galaga has like 277 levels, right? And then guess what happens when you beat 277? It starts back over at zero. I, you know what I mean? So, like, I was reading about Galaga this week. And, and, but here's the thing. We came across the, the game, and it was free. And so we just like, oh, we don't, we're, we're making money today, right? You ever come across something, you're like, oh, we're making money, or they're losing money on us, you know, if it's a buffet or something like that. And we played it for so long, we got tired of it because it was free. It didn't cost us anything. You ever, you know, you ever come have that feeling uh, in your life where it's like, gosh, this is so good, it's so easy, but I'm looking for a challenge. I'm looking for a challenge. So we actually moved on to some other games. And so as I think about free and freedom and some of the themes that Paul's going to be talking about in chapter 9, one question I want you to ponder this morning as we begin, as God's children, if you know Jesus is Lord and Savior, God's child, as God's children, are we free to enjoy our freedoms? Are we free to enjoy our freedoms or do we enjoy freedoms to make us free? Do we enjoy freedoms to make us free? Which side of the equal sign, if that was an equation since school is starting, which side of the equal sign do you fall on? Do we, are we free to enjoy our freedoms or do we enjoy freedoms to make us free? And so something to be mindful of as we look at chapter 9 Today, as Paul was ever and always confident that nothing could or would, as we just sang about. Like, I love this, how all this kind of works together because God's good. But Paul was always confident that nothing could or would separate him from God's love. Like, he was secure. And if you know him, you're secure. But he also, and so like he was free, right? Like he was free. He was secure in his free and being free before God the Father. But he never presumed his salvation regardless of how he lived his life or how he expressed the freedoms that come on the backside. See that? Like Paul never was concerned about his freedom or the freedoms that he could enjoy. And so as we think about that this morning, three sections in, in chapter Nine this morning with five observations as we make our way. By the way, if you want to go deeper, there's a study guide on the back table you could grab as well. But in section one, verses one through 14, I just want to read that out loud and we're just going to make our way through the chapter this morning. Okay, so starting in verse one, chapter nine, Paul says, so here you go, freedom and being free. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you, this is Paul writing to the Corinthians, my workmanship in the Lord. If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Similar back to chapter 8. Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife? Similar along back at chapter 6 and 7. As do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas, Barnabas, excuse me, and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when he treads out the grain. Is it for the oxen that God is concerned? Verse 10, does he not speak entirely for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope 
for sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not made a use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do, not, do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, chapter 8, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commandeth that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living from the gospel. Okay, so a lot of stuff going on, a lot of repetition. Paul usually builds his arguments on top of each other, and he comes back and uses themes as defense, and as he's answering questions to the Corinthians who are saying, hey, are you our person? Because you don't act like the other people that might be our person, right? You're not our, you know, you don't act like other leaders. And so verse 1, Paul asks four questions, and the answer is already apparent in the way that he asks the question. Yes, Paul is free. We just talked about that a second ago. And he's an apostle. He has seen Jesus. If you know his story on the road to Emmaus, Jesus spoke to him in a vision in the sky, and Paul counts it as if, as if he was in, physically in the presence of the Lord, just like the disciples were. Of Peter, which he'll mention here in just a second. And then finally, also in, in verse 1, he helped crafted the church at Corinth. So those are all like, they're sarcastically being asked. Like, of course, you know the answer. It's like when I ask my kids something, right? Like, did you, did you take out the trash? Like, yes, I did. You know, so I mean, that's the Corinthians here. Paul is defending his right to lead them in verse 3. Remember, if you remember earlier in the book, if you've been with us or you're familiar with Corinthians at all, Paul says, some follow Paul, some follow Apollo, some follow Cephas from earlier in the letter. And so here's just one observation. I said I'm going to get to five this morning. Observation number one is just simply this. Christians are obligated. Here you go. I'm going to say obligated. I think this is fair. You could disagree to agree, but I'm right about Gallagher. I think I'm right about this too. Christians are obligated to listen and to talk to each other in matters of encouragement and challenge. Like if you don't believe that, Paul shouldn't be writing this response. But yet here it sits in the scriptures, right? So for you and for me, if we're in the family of God, if we know who Jesus is, then you and I are obligated to listen to and talk to one another in matters of encouragement. Like it matters that we should encourage one each other in our walks, amen? Like it's needed. But then here's the other thing. In times of challenge, in times of tension, like we have the obligation to listen to one another as well. And that's what Paul's trying to contend with the church at Corinth. He's like, hey, you disagree, but hold on a second. Like, I'm going to encourage you, but I'm also going to challenge you, and you should do the same for me. See that? Christians are obligated to listen and talk to each other in matters of encouragement and challenge. Verses 4 and 5. So he asks the first set of questions. Is he not free? Is he not an apostle? Has he not seen Jesus? And then he does the same thing in verses 4 and 5. But this time, instead of Paul qualifying himself, so he's qualified himself with the first set of questions, now he's defending his right as their leader and apostle not to take the usual benefits that come with, this, uh, with the question. So here's the thing. Do we not have a right to eat and drink? Well, I mean, that's kind of a dumb question, right? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife? Okay, we'll get there in a second, as do the other apostles and, and Cephas. So yes, Paul obviously has the right to eat and drink. He has to live. Agreed? And he choose, as he chooses, more on that in a minute, but he also has the right to be married, which was a subject earlier in the book. 
which is asked with dripping sarcasm because like two chapters ago, he says, you should be like me, which is single and celibate and just serve the Lord. But then he's saying, well, hold on a second. Just because I'm celibate doesn't mean I don't have the right to be married. And then he throws uh, Peter in there. So here's some indirect evidence. You ever wondered what Peter's up to in the New Testament? Paul is referencing indirectly that Peter has taken a wife. So if you ever wondered if any of the apostles were married, here's your evidence, indirectly anyway. Verse 6, or I love this, or is it that only Paul and Barnabas cannot make that choice because it pushes, here you go, the buttons of the Corinthians and their norms. Verse 6, he says, or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? So here's the problem. The problem is, is typically apostles would Similar to, and I'm not saying I'm an apostle like Paul, I'm just saying, but typically apostles, when they were starting churches, would make some of their living from the church that they started. Similar to me in some ways. Like, thank you very much, by the way. I just want to say that. I probably don't say that enough. But the thing with Paul and Barnabas, there's also this thing called bivocational pastors where they have a marketplace job in addition to how they minister to a church and a congregation on Sundays or throughout the week. Paul was completely vocational. He was at Bivo. I mean, like, his entire living came from tent making. And when we say tent making, literally, he made tents, right? It's used as a metaphor these days to talk about bivocational pastors, but he made tents. And so he's saying, well, wait a minute. Just because we, that's the norm, Corinthians, that I should make a living and, and, be, and be supplied by through the church, just because I don't doesn't mean that I don't have the right to it. So back to the question. Are you free to enjoy the freedoms, or do you enjoy the freedoms to be free? What do you think Paul's saying here, right? What do you think he's saying? And the other part, too, is that it's pushing buttons on and norms. That should happen. But there's always, just by the way, just when norms and buttons get pushed, maybe in our world, maybe in the outside world, maybe in the Corinthians world, there's usually some kind of path to get from where the tension is on the backside of it to where unity comes. Hence, Observation number one, that we have the obligation to encourage and challenge one another and to listen and hear and receive. Verse seven, again, rhetoric, he, and Paul uses the example of a soldier, a planter, and a shepherd without getting some type of benefit. Does a soldier not serve with benefit? Well, okay. He doesn't just serve for himself and not get anything. Otherwise, he wouldn't be a soldier anymore. Uh, as far as the planter goes, surely the, the guy who plants the vineyard could eat some of the grapes. And then the, the shepherd, like there's, he's tending the flock. There's milk available. He should probably drink it because I don't think there's 7-Elevens and stripes running around the corner, right? Like you can't go get the slurpee around the corner when you're tending the shepherd. And so there again, it's sarcasm. But the truth is, is if that's good for them, why is it not good for Paul? So what's the issue? And it's this, in verse 9, referenced in the original scripture of the Old Testament, it's a tent, it's from Deuteronomy 25. But Paul takes the, the, less, the verse here, he quotes, and changes the application to its current context as he's writing to the Corinthians. So just so you know, like, this is how you should read the Bible, exactly what Paul is doing in verse 9. He takes the original meaning and makes it apply to the modern context of the Corinthians. And he says this in verse 9. I just want to read it again real quick. Does the law not say? So this is the Old Testament law. So this is like you're dead if you don't follow this law. It's one of those laws, right? Maybe not up there with, you know, uh, 
having other gods before God, but it seems pretty dangerous. But anyway, do we, uh, does the law not say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, there you go, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. It's good for an ox to catch a few bites while he labors for your bites. Right? Makes sense? Like for me, you know, um, you know it, it, is it good for the ox or is it for us? Paul is asking the rhetorical question. Jesus would say in Matthew 5, if we could jump there, which I'll just do it for memory. Jesus says, consider the birds of the field. How much more will the Father take care of our needs? Right? How much more will the Father take care of our needs? In Matthew 5, where it's like, in that, if you know that passage, the don't store treasure where moth and rust will destroy it, store, uh, lay up treasure in heaven. Consider the lilies of the field, how they spin, and the birds of the air, but yet God takes care of those. So Paul's saying, wait a minute, God's going to take care of me whether I avail myself of what I'm owed or not. God's going to take care of you because he's faithful, and his faithfulness isn't, isn't always dependent upon what we do, although it helps. Obedience is a good thing, a godly thing. Verse 10, and then Paul actually is referencing something that he'll write later in 2 Timothy about the plowman. Don't the plowman and the thresher hope to share in the crop? You know, here's the thing I always do. One of my greatest parenting tools ever. So parents in the room, you should write this down because it's amazing. I love it. It's called daddy tax. It's not mine, but I watched someone else use it. So anybody know what daddy tax is? Right? Here it is. When your kids ask you to open something, you get something from it. I tax it. And usually we give them chips because I don't want to buy chips because I eat chips. Like if there's chips and salsa, that's what I'm going to eat for lunch because that's how I roll. Right? But if there's chip bags running around or lying around that are singles, I know I'm going to open one, which means I'm going to get one. Right? Daddy tax. You should use it. It's great. You do. There you go. Someone does it, right? But that's the thing. That's what Paul's saying. He's like, wait a minute. Don't the people who are putting in the effort and the work have the right to take something? Or do they have the right not to? Verse 11, I love this. If Paul sows spiritual things, is it too much to make a living from it and uses, as I said, Old Testament and New Testament references? And so here's the thing. Verse 13, Paul sums all this up. Because to Paul, it would be a barrier to the gospel the Corinthian argument is that you don't take, he, do, he doesn't take payment so that, you know, the Corinthians say, you don't take payment so you're not a real apostle, right? It'd be similar to, wait, you're not a real pastor because you don't have a seminary degree. Seminary degrees are great, but also not required depending on where God puts you. You're like, I can't lead, I can't lead something because I don't have training. I would say you have all the training that you need because you have the Holy Spirit residing in you, residing in you. All right, but so the Corinthians were saying, you don't take payments, so you're not really wit, uh, real. And Paul would say, actually, I'm, I am because I have not disqualified myself. That's what makes me legitimate. I haven't disqualified my leadership piece. And so here's the go. Here's observation number two. By the way, Crossroads, as I said a second ago, you could be a leader in the church whether it's your job or not. Like leadership is not required. It does not require vocation. It requires intentionality and submission and servanthood. We were talking about this the other day in a men's meeting. We've got to get out of the, um, our lexicon in men's ministry, leaders and followers. We should be servant leaders, all of us, period. That's it. That's the only thing that we should describe ourselves as. And I would say it's true for Christians as well. 
But observation number two, leadership at any level in the church is bestowed by God. Counts for small group leaders, counts for women's ministry, men's ministry, kids' ministry, youth ministry, middle school ministry, worship ministry, teaching ministry, production ministry, all the things. Me, it's all bestowed by God. But also realizing how that leadership is followed by the people. It's a catch-22, right? It's given, but also you've got to respond because you you've heard this statement, right? It's the, well, if nobody's following you, you're just out on a walk somewhere right, by yourself, like you've heard that. Leadership and submission, here you go, leadership and submission can both be held tightly, leading to unity and purpose, even though tension is sometimes present, which is obvious what's happening here in chapter 9. There's tension. So Paul's saying, wait a minute, just because I have it doesn't happen. You you know, it's given by God. It's not given by you, but you still have to follow. But I've got to lead you in a way that you could follow me. And then here comes the here comes the leadership lessons, right? If the leadership is no, I'm gonna do. You're gonna do what I say. That's not leading. That's just telling. That's just telling. But here's the other thing: if if you don't say what I want you to say, I'm not gonna follow. That's not following either. And those things are held in mutual tension with one another, right? And I would say we're all on that spectrum somewhere. We all lead and follow. I'm serving in kids' ministry. I might be the lead pastor here. I'm serving in kids' ministry. I'm in submission to that team, to that room, because that's not my area. That's beautiful. Jesus submitted to the Father's will. He submitted to the authorities at Pilate before the cross. That's the leadership principle. That's the picture of what we're trying to get at here and what Paul is calling the Corinthians to, too. Section two. Okay, we good? Kind of, sort of, sort of, kind of? I think I say that every week. I need to think of something else to say there. That's my bump phrase. Okay, section two, verses 15 and 18. Shorter, but here you go. Like this passage too. But, so here you go. Paul just said, he goes, in the same way the Lord commanded those that proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel, but, here you go, there's the but. Verse 15, you middle schools or room, just ignore that. I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity it is laid upon me, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I will have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward, verse 18 says, that in my preaching I may present this gospel free of charge so as to not make full use of my right in the gospel. Okay. So verse 15. For Paul, where personal conviction from God in chapter 8 comes into play. Travis talked about that last week, right? At some point, as we follow God, he puts convictions on our heart, and we have to follow those convictions to be true to those and to ourselves just like we were following the scripture. That's what's, the be- that's what's beautiful about the kingdom. We all have these convictions that seem to go everywhere, but in the headship and lordship of Jesus, they're all brought into unity underneath him. Right? But Paul would rather lose his life than the Corinthians deprive him of his ground to boast in. That's his conviction. Paul's convicted. And so what is Paul's conviction to boast in? It's preaching the gospel. For Paul, that's it. That's his conviction. 
It falls in line with his calling. It falls in line with his purpose. It falls in line with his identity. It falls in line with who he was created to be. And for Paul, he cannot give that up. And so I love this in the second half of verse 16. What happens if Paul does not fulfill his calling to the gospel? He says, woe to me. Similar is the woes that are used in prophetic verses in the Old Testament. You know, like whenever Israel's under judgment, and like, woe to, you know, to Israel because they've turned away, that's the same woe. Like when Jesus says, woe to the Pharisees in the New Testament, that's the same woe. When Jesus laments over Jerusalem and says some very unkind things about where that city and where she is in relation to honoring God, he says, woe to Jerusalem. That's what Paul is inserting here for himself. Similar in Jeremiah and the Pharisees. Woe to me if I don't do what God has asked me to do, which is good for us to hear because it counts for us as well. It counts for us as well. If you have that conviction, you're like, I'm just going to put it over here for right now and I'll get to it one day. That assumes you have the days to get to it. Right? Like God's planned our lives out. And I think is what Paul is saying in leading us this morning is that we need to get to the business of what God has put on our hearts to be who you are, to be who you've been created to be, who you've been purposed to function in the body and in the world. Because observation number three this morning says this, personal convictions should flow out of our understanding of the gospel and not get in the way of that understanding. Sometimes we try to, sometimes we don't do it because we don't know how to do it. Sometimes we do it because we don't understand it. Sometimes we do it because we get the order wrong. I got to do this. You ever heard, you ever caught yourself saying this? Like, I have to do this of all things. And then somehow me doing that thing gets in the way of the good news of Jesus being spread. That's what Paul's saying. I have to do it. But there's an order, and it's the gospel. It's always gospel first, conviction second. Back to last or two weeks ago when I said we actually should be bending our lives around the gospel, not bending the gospel around our lives to suit our preferences and practices. So what does that mean to you and to me today? Is one, we have to understand the gospel, and two, we have to do the work in community with one another. That's why we need each other. Like, I need people saying, you know that thing that you say you want to be about? Like, you don't do it, or you're doing it wrong, or you should do it this way because I see this. Like, we all need each other. It takes a family, a community to do that, but then also to put aside whatever I would want for my life and say, actually, Jesus, what you want for my life is better than what I would want anyway. That's how Paul could say, I don't care about the provision that you would offer me because I want to be free. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel because I've got to tell you the truth. And if you pay me, I may not be willing to tell you the truth. There you go. Verse 18, because Paul knows if he's in be- obedient in his faith to Jesus, he will re- a reward here and to heaven. I just want to say, like it's, I know we sing about heaven this morning and we should, we should always be doing that, but there is a blessing here for us too. And a lot of times I catch myself, maybe you do the same thing, where I catch myself delaying the reward here on the finite side of things for the eternal one because the eternal one's going to be so great, but I leave things on the table here. You're, you know, it's what is it, what's the phrase? Like, we're, heavenly, we're so heavenly minded, we're out of the world, but we're not in it. Like, I don't think, I think that's an issue as well. 
far too many of us don't partake of our physician and our calling and the rewards today. We leave them on the table for the world and other things, or maybe we just kind of just sit in the world. I don't know. I don't know. Section three. Almost finished. Starting in verse 19. Four. There you go. So Paul wants to make full use of his right in the gospel. So here you go. Verse 19. This is where I want to spend the rest of our time. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law. And he says in parentheses, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. Paul's free, but he's going to act like it because he wants to interact with people who think that way. 21, to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. And he says again, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things. Here's the most famous passage or one of the most famous verses in the Bible. I have become all things to all people. You know it, right? You've heard this before. Be all things to all people. This is where this comes from. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. There's the earthly reward. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Verse 25 says, Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. The Olympics, that's what he's referring to. The, you know why, why they have medals in the Olympics. It comes because the winner's got a wreath. But we, an imperishable one. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one, one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be, there it is, disqualified. Paul wants to remain qualified. Most famous scripture in this passage. You know, like I said, one of the most famous verses in this passage. And I love verses 19 to 22. Though Paul is free from all, he made himself a servant to win some. Paul's freedom, here you go, don't miss this this morning. Paul's freedom, laying it down, led him to servanthood. Paul is not free because of the freedoms he enjoys. He is free to either pick them up or lay them down. And you and I are the same. Paul's freedom led him to servanthood. What should our freedom lead to in us? Well, to Paul... He did it in such a way because he moved around and talked about the gospel and helped win people to Jesus. He said, you know what? Here's what I'm going to do. To Jews, I'm going to be Jewish because he was Jewish. To those under religious laws or different laws, he's going to, he's going to uh, follow those. To those who don't acknowledge any laws, he's going to act like he doesn't acknowledge any laws. To the weak, he became weak. Paul is, you know, he is, he is very adversarial in his letters. He's aggressive. It's interesting to me. Paul is so aggressive in some ways, but he says, to the weak I became weak. Isn't that a beautiful picture? And then the passage, right? Sometimes it's the, I become all things to all people, right, can be used as a justification to live the way that you want to live with little or no thought to God. You ever heard it used that way? Well, we're free. We're good. Although Paul says somewhere else, it says all things are good, but not all things are profitable. You know, but we're fine. It's good. No worries. We're fine. You're fine. I'm fine. We're fine. It's not my notes, but we're fine. You know, I mean, so there's the thing. It's a justification to live how you want. 
And in verse 22, Paul says, I've become all things to all people that I might win some. And all throughout the letter, don't forget this, all throughout the letter to the church at Corinth, Paul has been saying these things, be like me, be like me. This is the penultimate. This is the gold medal. This is the mountaintop view of who Paul is. He became all things to all people. But here's the thing. There's a precursor to that. You know how before you can become all things to all people, guess what you got to do? You got to go to the people. You got to go. Paul didn't do that from his living room. He didn't do it watching TV. He didn't do it in this room. He went He was sent, he heard, he responded. And I think that's what's plaguing the North American church, is that. It's a, no, 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 I got my stuff over here. I think this way, we're going to do this thing. You know, that one's a little different. I'm a little wary of that. Sometimes that's needed, sometimes it's not. But I'm just going to just stay here. And what we've done is we've sacrificed the going and the submission and the servanthood and the suffering that Jesus so beautifully modeled. That Jesus, it was who he is and was and still is. He is the suffering servant, the great king. And we sacrifice that part. Love that. Think about that. We sacrifice the suffering and the servanthood piece so that we could be comfortable and have our preference. This is the penultimate view of who Paul is. And no matter where we are, no matter what station in life we are, we've been talking about that too, be that kind of gospel-loving, Jesus-oriented person to your counterparts both inside and outside this room. Jesus said this in Matthew 28. What did he say? You know, it's a great commission. He said, go, and he said, go. First of all, he said, go. You can't baptize and you can't disciple without going, period. Doesn't work that way. He said, go to all nations and all peoples, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and teaching them to live and obey all that he commanded. All that he commanded. That is the penultimate view of who you and I are supposed to be. As Paul is sharing who he is supposed to be, the pinnacle of who he is, Jesus already told us the pinnacle of who we are. We are a going people. We are a discipling people. We are a baptizing people. Not because we have it all figured out, but because we don't have to have it all figured out. There's the freedom that we get to enjoy. There's the freedom. So here's the thing. You want to be a great commission person. I don't know if you've ever thought of yourself that way. We talk about leaders and servants earlier. You want to fulfill the great commission. You know how you do it? Do it like Paul. Become all things to all people where you are. Where are you at work? Be a great commission person. Where are you in the home? Be a great commission person. Where are you in the grocery store line? Be a great commission person. Where are you on the interstate? I know that's hard on I-20, right? Like, be a great commission person, you know? Sometimes I'm like, I just want to run people off the road like they're a video game, you know? Except i got to fix my car. You know, that's the thing. Be a great commission person. Here you go. Someone who doesn't look like you or think like you and is completely on other, some other uh, worldview that doesn't know Jesus, be a great commission person. We have the world right here, here's the funny thing. Like, Arlington is very diverse. Would you agree? The world is right here. 
Be a great commission person. Become all things to all people. You want crossroads to fulfill the great commission? This church has to become all things to all people, both here in Pantigo and in Arlington. Corinth, by the way, is wildly pluralistic. I think we've hit those chapters, have we not? Like it's almost kind of crazy how pluralistic it is. How many worldviews are all in the, in the, in the, in the uh, melting pot of what Corinth is. But guess what? So is Arlington. So is this country. So is this state. And it takes all people to reach all peoples. But yet we say, no, 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 I'm going to win you to my argument because I want to be right. Jesus never cared about being right. Observation number four. We are called to reflect the gospel to all nations and all peoples. Period. We are called to reflect the gospel to all nations and all peoples. Now, we have lots of opportunities to do that here, which we're working on, and we want to get better at and get more We want that ingrained. Like, I want that to be ingrained in behavior here. Also, we send people out. We support people who have been sent out, right? Some people go, some people pray, some people pay, and then everything in between, right? Those are all the the fixed points on the spectrum. Next week is Mission Sunday where we'll get to hear reports about what God did in some of our Crossroads family when they went on mission trips this summer. It's going to be good. I would encourage you to be back so that we can hear what God is up to. Because here's the thing. God is moving. And we think, I don't know how God can move in this environment. But yet he's moving all over the globe. Can we join in that? I want to join in that. I don't want to be a country club. I just don't. And then Paul says this in verse 23. Paul does all things for the sake of the gospel period, end of sentence. He becomes all things to all people, and he does all things for the sake of the gospel so that he may share with them, the people who he's becoming all things to, in the blessings of the gospel. Like, if you're like, I'm good, I'm saved, you are leaving rewards on this side of eternity, on the table, in the cupboard, not being used. Not being used. I've been thinking a lot about this. I've had this written on a post-it note on my desk for a while. It's about contentment. Contentment is not getting everything we want. Now, I would say that makes me feel pretty content, right? I could have the house, the car, the kids the way I want my kids to be, right? An Xbox, I don't know, money in the bank account, all these things, right? I don't know. Contentment is not, this is what the world would say, contentment is not getting everything we want. That's called consumerism. Agree? Amen? Okay, okay. Contentment is not getting what we deserve before a holy God. And you and I should minister out of that position. Contentment is not getting what we deserve. Because here's the thing, I could do all these things, but oh my gosh, if God decided to pour his wrath on me, I am done. Because there is nothing I could do to ever, ever make up the gap between where I am and what he is. What he is. But Jesus died. And so observation number five. It is an eternal life changing blessing to receive the gospel, but also a temporal one to give it away to others. I think we forget that sometimes in our busyness. 
It is a blessing to receive, but also a temporal one here and now today to give away the good news of Jesus to someone who is thirsty and drinking sand, chasing after consumerism, thinking it's contentment. And then verse 24, another famous verse. I just want to read this. Do you not know that in a race... All the runners run, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Here you go. I'm going to to try to wrap it all up in this bow. A perishable wreath of what they run for, or a finisher medal. I've got finisher medals from other races and stuff I've done. You know, I I don't like finisher medals because I think it teaches something that's not good. But I certainly like to receive it when I finish a half marathon or something like that, right? So just, I'm just going to say that. But here's the thing. A perishable wreath or a finisher medal are the freedoms that I was talking about earlier. Remember the question? Are we free to enjoy the freedoms or do enjoying the freedoms make us free? A perishable wreath are the freedoms that Paul is free to pick up and to lay down. Same thing for you and for me. He checks everything against the lens of the gospel. Everything else he counts as rubbish. The imperishable wreath is the freedom that verse 24 is talking about that Jesus gives and gives securely and holistically. Amen? Amen. So the question is, as the band comes back up, the gospel simply is a sinner dies with the prospect of resurrection in Christ. So we talked about earlier of baptism. We die with Christ in his death as we go under the water, and we are raised with Christ in his life as he is resurrected. Now, that's the prospect of life that Jesus offers you and me. But here's the deal. This is how Paul is able to be all things to all people. He understands that he has to die to himself, number one, and number two, live his life as it was resurrected for Christ, not for himself. You die on both sides of that. And so no matter how we answer the question at the beginning, realizing our freedom is ultimately found in the laying down of our lives, just as Paul calls the Corinthians to over and over and over. We found our freedom in Jesus laying down his life. Where do you think we're going to find freedom? In laying down our life too. And so the question I want to ask you as the band's going to play is, what kind of race are you running? Are you running the imperishable one or the perishable? Are you running after the wreath that's going to be like the roses that have dried out and you hang up somewhere and hope that nobody touches them because they're all going to fall apart? Or are you going to run for something that has been stored up in heaven that where moth and rust cannot ever touch? Because we're all on a race, both individually and collectively as a church. So this band's going to play. And I just want you to reflect. Where are you? Like, where are you in your freedoms? Because here's the thing. If you count your freedoms more than your actual freedom from God, I think we've got it inverted. I think we've got it inverted. But here's the other thing. If you find yourself like, no, 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 I'm in a good space, then I would challenge you to find someone to tell that story to and help them take steps there too. Your work's not done just because you've arrived. Because we don't arrive spiritually until God comes back, Jesus Christ, to come and get us. Amen. Will you stand and pray with me? So, Lord, as we pray, just for a moment, I'm thankful that we're free and that you also give us freedoms and how those things 
are not conditioned upon who we are. It's just what you've given. God, you are a generous, generous, generous God. You gave your son for me, for us, when you didn't have to. Could have just snapped your fingers, but instead, in relationship, you pressed in to the mess and brought beauty out of the mess. So as we think about just the stuff from this morning, what does it look like to lay ourselves down for you? What does it, feel, what does it look like for us to lead and encourage one another? What does it look like for us to go? What does it look like for us to disciple? What does it look like for us to baptize? What does it look like for us to be a great commissioned people? God, it says all authority on earth and in heaven has been given to you. And so, God, I pray that in that power and in that strength that you would lead and guide. So as we sing, just help us personally reflect. Help us figure out where we are. And let us not just say, no, I'm going to do better. No, get that out of our lexicon. Help us to say, no, I'm going to be submissive to you. I need to be more submissive to you, Jesus. It's absolutely true. So as we sing and we reflect, may we sing of your glory, may we sing of your grace, may we sing of your goodness. It's in your name.